You're listening to Just Asking, where we discuss the subject that everyone wants to talk about without really knowing how to talk about it. Why do we human beings, who are obviously so sexual, have such a difficult time talking about managing this intimate part of our lives? We talk about managing our money, we manage our careers, our diets, and even our stock portfolios. Yet when it comes right down to it, we really don't know how to talk about managing our sexuality. And certainly, we don't know how to talk about doing it intelligently. So that's exactly what we talk about on this show. Welcome to Just Asking, a safe place where we talk about human sexuality. I'm Stephen Ng, and in my decades of working with people who have sexual problems, I've learned that we can all manage our sexuality better, more intelligently. One of the things that I talk about, obviously I'm not a therapist, but, well, you're probably going to be in another relationship at some point, and you still have your kids. So now you have to balance that whole thing, like having a relationship with a person who is not your children's father, and how, you know, how, how and I realize it's a huge issue, um, but how do you, how do you? You know, I, I can't thank you enough for bringing this up, because I think it is a huge issue that, um, that is a huge issue for parents as much as it is for children, and the idea that, well, my children are too much of a priority right now for me to worry about these pesky little uh, sexual itches that I feel. So I'm going to ignore that uh, for the next um, dump years. Fifteen. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> so maybe even as much as 15 years, I'm going to just ignore that. And the problem with that is that I'm, I'm now modeling how to repress sexuality, and I'm eventually going to be modeling whether I want to or not how to repress sexuality in a way that has disastrous consequences. This is not intelligent management of my sexuality, and I'm providing a horrible example for my children. I'm going to pay for it, and they're going to pay for it. You know, starting off with, first of all, you know, it's a truism, even a trope in our culture, that we all know somebody at work of whom it is said, oh, he just needs to get laid, or I know what he <laughs> needs. I know what she needs. And, and why is it that pe people say those sorts of things about us? Well, because we're moody and irritable and because we're scatterbrained and not focused because we and, and it puts us at risk of developing a crush on somebody we would normally never be sexually attracted to, somebody who's actually not good for us. But because we're not managing our, our sexuality intentionally and intelligently, we're at risk like a piece of... Uh, of wood floating on the ocean for landing on any shore. We're not direct, we're not like in a ship directing our course and going to the proper port of call. We're just floating around, just maybe headed, God knows where the wind and the tide are, are pushing us. And that's, that's unfortunate because we have sexual needs. And if we're not cognizant of our needs, and, I, and I'm not just talking about uh, the need for sex itself. I'm talking about the need for intimacy, the need for conversation, the, the adult need for an adult sexual conversation, an adult relationship where there's flirting, where there's attraction. Even if a couple decide they don't want to have intercourse, just to be dating, it's, it's an intentionally romantic act that says, I like you, I want to get to know you better, 
and I really enjoy your company. So that's kind of an important thing for the parent. Now, for the child, again, we're skewing over to, and Johnny, you really are the center of the universe. That's why I got rid of daddy, because, because you're so much important and so fragile. You're so fragile. I couldn't possibly be a human being and have normal needs and desires if I'm charged with the sacred responsibility for raising you. And, and that does a real disservice to any of our children. So at the other side of that, of course, are the people who are um, single parents who are so focused on their own physical needs or their need to have a partner, like they can't deal with being single, and they have kind of the rotating uncles coming through the house. <laughs> Okay, that's that's not creepy at all. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, and that would be the other extreme, right? And and it's sort of like deciding what sexual model is going to be best for me. Am I going to go with what my pastor on, tele- on television or the radio says? Or should I go with uh, the shock jock who's broadcasting from a satellite somewhere? Uh, I think most of us want to be somewhere in between and in that, that area which we could call the golden mean uh, where there's there's moderation and in, in, in all things and prudence and that sort of stuff. Well, yeah, we can be sexual beings appropriately without putting children in a position where they're having to deal with adult facts of life that they're not developmentally prepared to deal with. That, for me, would be a form of sexual abuse, like forcing a very young person to look at pornography. It's... Um, and I, and I think we have a, a pretty good cultural norm established if you look at regular mainstream media. When it's prime time on television, they still show people dating, but they're not showing these horribly awkward situations where mom or dad is bringing home one partner after another and the kids are feeling creeped out by the invasion of the household and the feeling that their home is no longer really a safe place. It's really more of a a flop house for uh, grown-ups who are getting busy. And and that that feels pretty creepy to a kid growing up. So what would be the ideal um, way to manage your own sexuality and manage your family? As a single parent, you know, how, how long should you wait until after the divorce to start dating? At what point should you introduce the children to somebody you're dating? You know, do you keep it all secret and away from them? You know, that uh, again, such a great question because so many people are trying to figure that out. And, and we don't have a rule book out there. Nobody has handed over a manual that says this is the proper or the right way to do that. And, and I think um, deservedly so. I mean, the absence of such a, man, a manual is, is important to note because we are all different and every family is different. If it takes me three years to get my divorce, but I'm separated for all three years, I don't think I, I need to keep the fact that I'm interested in dating a secret. If, on the other hand, I'm uh, secretly dating, well, those kind of secrets do come out. Children do figure things out. They find telltale signs around the house that somebody else has been over, or they see the phone calls, or they even take the phone calls from strangers who ask for mom and they they can tell by the change in mom or dad's voice kind of what's going on that it's a sexy time now and that feels pretty creepy so what i like to see again is is communication uh that's straightforward 
And no matter how young a child is, uh, as long as they're able to have a conversation to be able to to say, well, you know, as you know, mommy and daddy's relationship didn't work out, but uh, someday mom and dad, when they're ready, we're going to we're going to be finding or at least trying to find love again in our lives. And that's probably going to going to result in something like dating. How would you feel about that? And I think for a lot of kids, that's a terrible thought because it it it's one more telltale sign that mom and dad are really done. They're not ever going to get back together again. Right. And, and that's that's the horrifying thing. And if you think about it, it's not the sexual component of dating. It's the very normal, very understandable self-centered fear that all children have wondering if they're going to be okay. Well, and, and you talked earlier about modeling behavior and say that in your marriage, either in your marriage or maybe the kids were too young to see it, you weren't able to model that behavior. Um, now you have another opportunity, right, to model what it means to be a good partner with another person. Right. And a lot of times um, the divorce is no better than the marriage. I mean, if two people could have a happy divorce, they probably would have had a happy <laughs> marriage. So here's one parent, it could be the man or the woman, who's having that straightforward conversation and being very intentional about uh, educating the children uh, as to what is normal behavior. And the other parent is uh, mining for information, trying to turn, turn the children into a Nazi youth group that's spying on the other parent, and then uh, maybe providing moral commentary on mom and dad's behavior uh, that they're uh, they just couldn't wait for the divorce to get finalized or they, they couldn't even wait for the ink to get dry before they started dating and that sort of thing. And, and that sort of uh, moral commentary on the sexuality of the other parent, when given to the children, is another form of child abuse because it violates that sacred barrier between the sexuality of adults and the sexuality of uh, children. Children need to be protected. And I, that doesn't mean they need to be kept 100% in the dark, but to be invited as if they were uh, her best girlfriend into a bitter rant on what dad's doing now and who he's dating now. Gosh, she's, she's young enough to be his daughter, for crying out loud. Or for dad to be referring to mom as a slut that she just, you know, that, that, that is devastating. Either one of those is devastating to a child uh, who of course, quite naturally, still wants to love both parents and still wants to have and deserves to have a really good relationship with both parents. So I like to see parents, even bitter parents who are vengeful, um, to understand they're abusing their child uh, when they have those conversations and to save those conversations for other like-minded bitter adults <laughs> <laughs> where they can have a nice gossip fest about the other adult, get it out of their system, and, uh, and then move on with their life, treating their children uh, as children really deserve to be treated. This is another conversation we've had plenty of times with um, single, my, my single mom support group, um, <laughs> is that this child is half, half of this child is the other person. And regardless of your own personal feelings about the other person, when you start insulting the other person, you're kind of... Oh, you're absolutely insulting. I mean, if you're saying, uh, God, your father is such a bastard you know he's he never does this he's always doing that um at some 
level, even a very young boy understands that 50% of his identity comes from his father. And it's the same, it might be surprising for parents to hear this, but it's the same with every little girl. She understands that she's not a clone of mother, mm -hmm. that her father is really equally responsible for her existence. And that, and, and, the, and the irony is we, some boys are so much like their mothers and some girls are so much like their fathers, even in the looks department, uh, that we, we can't help but make that conclusion and we feel shamed we feel uh, demeaned and humiliated when anybody puts down our parents, and that includes the other parent. And even the things, and this is, you know, a little bit off topic, but when you say things like, you're just like your father. Absolutely. You know, or, and one of the things, like, my, my oldest son looks just like his father. Very handsome. Very handsome. And whenever I tell him that, I try to include that. You know, well, how, how, how handsome his father is and how that's why I'm saying it. Well... That's why I'm glad we're having this talk, because I think you're the first woman ever <laughs> in the history of mankind who has ever said you're just like your father and meant it in a positive way. I have heard so many children come to me, teens and younger, in, their, in my practice, and one of their complaints is when mom or dad says you're just like your mother or your father, and, and it's always couched in, in negative terms. Uh, it's always said in anger. And I understand the frustration we all go through. And I do understand that children can be an echo somewhat of uh, a parent, another parent. But the issue we have with our ex-spouses is the issue we have with our ex-spouses. Not with our children. Not with our children, exactly. And so, I mean, I think that maybe all of this can be encapsulated by saying that we are all individual human beings in our own right. Our children are their own people. Our exes are their own people. Our new people are their own people. And we have to respect, be respectful of, and, and ourselves. We need to be respectful of all of that at the same time. Yeah, and that may sound like a lot, but it's actually really easy if I can just remember I have the right to be myself. So if I'm a man or woman who wants to date, I get to at least share that thought, you know, that I'm thinking about dating. I'd really like to start dating. And there's nothing evil about that thought. There's nothing wrong with that thought. And even if children are traumatized or cry or have an emotional reaction to that thought, that's okay. Also, because of that same principle we were talking about earlier, systematic desensitization. If it's really troubling to my children to hear that I want to date, the first time I bring it up, well, the second or the third time, the fourth time, it's going to be significantly less troubling because they're starting to get the idea, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And we see in our media, I mean, I grew up in an era where I was the only child in my whole classroom in the fourth grade whose parents were divorced. By the time I got to high school, just a few years later, it was over 50% of the classroom that was divorced. When I was a boy, they, they had a regular father-son night at school. By the time I got out of school, that was no longer a thing. People didn't do that because it, was, it excluded too many, right. too many kids whose fathers lived in another state by that time. So we've all grown, and, and I think our culture has grown to understand that families are not like a one-size-fits-all. We're all very different. And if I can... If I can embrace that, even if 
my children's friends have divorced parents who aren't dating, that doesn't mean I shouldn't date. I still have to figure out what works for me. And if I ignore this part of my life, I mean, really, what's the alternative? For most of us, let's be frank, it's uh, a life of solitary sex uh, spent uh, where I'm going to be masturbating and nothing against that because uh, at least you're having sex with someone you love. <laughs> but but it's, it's, uh, it's really not the model that I want to establish for my children that they need to repress their sexuality and not have sex or not have relationships that are intentionally romantic because, well, other people might be offended. That's not the model I really want to get across. Thank you, Jackie, for this conversation. Thank you very much. It's been very uh, enlightening. And thanks uh, to everyone out there listening to us. My name is Stephen Ng, and we're going to continue these conversations. Please join us again as we talk about sex, sexuality, gender issues, and everything else related to human sexuality and the intelligent management thereof. If you have anything you'd like to hear us talk about, just give us a tweet at Stephen Ng MFT, and we'll try to address that in a future conversation. This has been a production by Ng Intellectual in cooperation with Estepona Group. Interview by Jackie Shelton. Music produced by Octophonics. Editing by Lucas Pichelli. To listen to more episodes, visit stephening.com. <laughs>